Numbers chapter 18. Numbers 18. back to uh, Numbers 18, we'll continue where we left off a couple weeks ago with the principles of the priesthood. Someone might ask, well, what can the Old Testament office of priest teach us that can help us in the New Testament age in which we live? Well, although God works in different ways and different dispensations, we find that he is the same God and in, uh, the same principles by which he operates are really unchanging. The last uh, time we looked at some principles in chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood, and thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of uh, thy father, bring thou with thee, that they may be joined unto thee and minister unto thee, but thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. And we looked at these two verses and we saw the principle, first of all, of responsibility. And we said we had responsibilities concerning the Savior. We have responsibilities concerning the Scriptures. We have responsibilities concerning self. And then responsibilities concerning sinners. And uh, those are the uh, areas that we looked at under this area of uh, responsibility. We also looked at the principle of harmony, uh, the unity of believers, and then how to maintain that unity. And we saw the importance of the Levites, and the word Levi or Levites is a word that means attached. And so uh, uh, even one of our young men, whose name is Levi, is now going to be attached soon. I understand she said yes. Okay. So uh, uh, that's uh, an interesting sideline there, I guess you could say. But the importance of Levites means, or the word Levites means attached, fulfilling their responsibilities as priests and maintaining the unity of the priesthood of, in Israel. Now, these same principles apply to us in the local New Testament church. We have responsibilities as believer priests. And uh, we must maintain harmony within the local church in order to do the work of God. We're believer priests. Uh, we don't have a separate uh, priest or someone that we go to to intervene for us between us and God. We can go directly to God. That's uh, the teaching of the New Testament. And so we have responsibilities concerning harmony within the local church. Faithfulness and attendance, uh, church membership, and uh, if we believe the Bible, as we say we're a Bible-believing church, then we need to be a Bible-practicing church. And so uh, you believe the Bible, you practice the Bible. Now, we move on in this same uh, area of principles in chapter 18 to principles of conformity. You see this in verse 3. And they shall keep 
thy charge, and the charge of the tabernacle, only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor he also die. Here, God is making very clear he wanted his instructions to be followed. The Levites were to care for the tabernacle, but they were not to minister before the Lord in the holy place. That was a responsibility given to the uh, of priestly family of Aaron. The Bible stresses repeatedly that our allegiance is to be to the Almighty God. We are submit to the Scriptures. We are to be in compliance or conform to the commands of Christ. We're to obey the Lord. We're to obey His Word. And this is where one of the greatest battles that we have lies. Our flesh wants to conform to the crowd. Exodus 23 and verse 2 says, Thou shalt not follow the multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. It's still a principle that applies to us today. Even it's Old Testament, but it's a principle that we uh, should be following today. Of course, we see in uh, this uh, reinforced in the New Testament through Romans chapter 2, or 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to obey. Obedience brings great reward and blessing. Reminded of the song written by Ron Hamilton. It's in our hymn book. It's called Obedience. Uh, it's sung in many Sunday schools and youth groups, and yet it's not just a song for children. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Now, let me just park here for a few minutes and talk about some Bible principles on obedience. Bible principles on obedience. The first one is the success of obedience. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God was directing Joshua that this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. The idea here is that Joshua would be so familiar with God's word that it would be continually upon his tongue. And so God directed him to meditate therein day and night. You see, familiarity with the word of God to such a degree that it modifies or changes our behavior comes from meditating on it day and night. Now that word meditate has a sense of musing or thinking upon. It does not mean you have to be reading the Bible all day and all night. You'd never get your work done if you were reading the Bible. But the implication of day and night is that, that it should be daily. In other words, we need to become so familiar with God's Word that we think about it on a daily basis as we as a part of our lives. And you can say, well, uh, 
It's hard to to uh, read the Bible day and night, isn't it? But you can meditate upon it. You can think about it. And the best way to think about it is to read it and then memorize it and then have it in your mind. And you can meditate on it. Now, I know some of you are not necessarily breakfast people. Uh, some people just get up in the morning and they just, you know, they're not, they're not going to eat breakfast. But most people need some nourishment in the morning. You've slept hard. Uh, your the rafters in your house are a little bit loose because of all the snoring. But you you know you got you gotta have some nourishment in the morning, and uh, it helps you get going. And you need a good healthy breakfast. Now of course that healthy breakfast I have here is the bacon, right? Well, I'm not sure that makes it the most healthy, but the bowl of fruit sure helps. But if you get up in the morning and you're going to have a good breakfast, you're going to have to get up earlier than 15 minutes before you have to be at work, right? So it takes you more than 15 minutes to get to work. So if you're going to have a good, healthy breakfast, you got to get in time to prepare it and get, in time and get up in time to, to eat it. Well, if you're going to get some spiritual food for your day, out there in the world where you do battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. That means you're going to have to get up and make some time for Bible readings. You're going to have to have some spiritual food to help you get through the day. Now I know that some of you might say, well, you read your Bible, but you have a different schedule. That's fine. But the key is to do it. To meditate on it. Have some weapons available for the battle you face each and every day. Have some words of encouragement, some words of faith that you can use to defeat the enemy and have victory and success. Now I believe this is accurate, but did you know that every time the Bible speaks of success and victory, somewhere in the context of that subject is the idea of meditation on the Word of God. I say the idea that doesn't necessarily mean the word meditation is there, but it's the idea of meditating, think of, thinking about having the Word of God uh, on uh, your mind. God says that we absorb His Word by meditating there in day and night. We will become completely compliant thereto, and God has promised that our way will be prosperous and He will give good success. That's a promise from God. You believe it? Then we need to practice. Secondly, is the significance of obedience. First Samuel fifteen twenty two. Samuel said, that the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice; to hearken than the fat of, uh, than the fat of rams. It is more important to obey than to sacrifice. Now, most of us are familiar with King Saul and how he failed to completely obey the Lord. Saul did not take the responsibility of completely obeying the Lord, but he did take credit for making sacrifice to the Lord. Do you know what? You can't pick and choose which commands you're going to follow, which ones you're going to obey. 
It's not enough just to come to church on Sunday morning and then disobey His Word the rest of the week. God says it's important to obey Him. Notice thirdly, the serenity of obedience. The serenity of obedience. James chapter 1 verse 25 says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Job 36, 11, If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Again, these verses are very similar to the principles given to us in Joshua 1 and verse 8. As we are obedient to the Lord, He's promised peace. Now that doesn't mean we'll never have any trials, but we can have peace in the midst of those trials. James speaks of the perfect law of liberty. What is the perfect law of liberty? Again, it's God's Word. And the commands that He gives us, it's perfect. There are no flaws in it. And we look into God's Word, we become a doer of the Word, and the promise is that we will be blessed. Notice, fourthly, the standard of obedience. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, it says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. You see, obedience to God is to be a standard in our lives. And I believe the Bible is very clear. We are to obey those in authority over us, including governmental authority, and we're to do it willingly. However, when human authority conflicts with the clear command of God, we're told to obey God rather than man. The events in the life of Daniel are very clear Old Testament commentary on this principle. Daniel... Uh, did what he believed was right. He prayed before God even though it was outlawed. In our country, we're getting to the place where some of these things that we believe in, that we practice, are becoming uh, suggestions for laws in various states. There's a law that's uh, being presented in California to ban the Bible. Can't buy a Bible. Well, you can still, but it's a, it's a law that's being proposed. We hope it's defeated. But the standard of obedience ought to be to obey God. Number five, the soundness of obedience. The soundness of obedience. First Kings three fourteen says, "As if and if thou walk, will walk in my ways." To keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Now in the context of this passage, God was giving Solomon the wisdom for which he sought. He also promised that a degree of wisdom given would be such as never before and never after ever given. But God had one stipulation. He said if Solomon would utterly obey God's word, even as his father did, he promised to give him extra length of life. Now sadly, as the story will unfold, Solomon was never fully obedient. It seems that with age, he drifted farther and farther from God. God promised additional blessing for obedience. Solomon never received that blessing because of his developed 
disobedience. You know, it's a sad thing when a young man or a young lady comes to know the Lord, they grow in the Lord, they're all excited about serving the Lord. Maybe they made a decision at camp, or maybe they made a decision in their home, or maybe they made a decision in church, and they're excited about serving the Lord, and they diligently read their Bibles, they're faithful to the services of the local church, and they make sure to tell others about the Savior. But somewhere along the line, they get away from the Lord. They read their Bibles less. They attend church less often. They talk about the Lord to others less. And they just don't have the enthusiasm for the Lord they did at one time. Why is that? Disobedience. Walking in our own way instead of God's way. There will be soundness in our lives. And I believe God will lengthen our lives if we are obedient to Him. Number six, the stability of obedience. John 7, 17 says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. If anyone is willing to do his will, there must be an attitude of love for the Word of God. And as we know the Word, love the Word, obey the Word, we will be established in the Word. There will be a stability in our life. Number seven, the sense of obedience. John 7, 17 again, uh, same verse. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Obedience helps give understanding of spiritual truth. It's so easy to sit on the sidelines and be a Monday morning quarterback. We love to tell others how it should have been done, or we speak our mind without really knowing. Jesus said, if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That is the wonder of the Word of God. Listen, if you're willing, God will make it real to you and God, the Holy Spirit, will confirm it in you. Number eight, the source of obedience. The source. Romans 6.17 says, but God be thanked, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Obedience comes from the heart. In other words, when you were in the world, when you were lost, you obeyed sin. It was natural for you to do that. But when you get saved, we have a new nature. And that new nature should cause us to obey Christ. We have the indwelling Spirit of God. As we are allow Him to fill and control our lives, then we will obey God from the heart. There, there you will have success and significance and serenity and the standard, the soundness, the stability, the sense of the source of obedience. Oh, how we need to be believe, uh, obedient believer priests. Obedient. But then we move on here in Numbers chapter 18, in verses 6 and 7, we find the principle of mastery. He says in verse 6, And I have, I behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel, to you that are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Therefore, thou and thy sons with thee shall keep 
your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift, and a stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. The Levites were God's gift, a blessing for the priesthood and the people. The priests were a blessing because they were the mediators for the people. And the call of priesthood was a blessing too. They were blessed by coming before the Lord to worship. The priesthood was not to be a burden or a drudgery, but a blessing. Now, we don't have a priest in that way today. We're not under that system. But we have been wonderfully blessed in having been given the gift of a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is God's gift to us. What does it say in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus Christ is a gift to us. He is our high priest. He is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, our gift of salvation is not to be a burden for us. Some people think, well, if I get saved, then I'm going to have a miserable life. Well, they don't understand about being saved, then do they? Salvation is not a burden, it's a blessing. You remember what we're told in 1 Peter 2, in verse 9, that we are a royal priesthood. I believe some believers do not show his praises because they look at Christianity as drudgery. I certainly hope Christian life is not drudgery for you. But you do you know what can make it a drudgery? The Christian life can become that which we don't enjoy when we don't obey the word of God. For sure, the Christian life is not easy. But we can still rejoice in the fact that we're saved. We have the indwelling Spirit of God. We're on our way to heaven. And the Christian life will not be a chore if we'll just count it on joy when we fall into divers temptations, as it tells us in James chapter 1, verse 2. Are you struggling in your Christian life? Obey God. Count it all joy. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. There's a principle of mastery. Fifthly, there's a principle of quality. Go down verse 12. In verse 12 it says, All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the wheat and the first fruits of them which they have offered to, thee, to the Lord, them have I given thee. The Lord provided for His priests and their families through the offerings that were given to the Lord. The best, notice that word there, the best that the people had was to be given unto the Lord. Listen, the Lord expects our best. He expects to be first in our lives. Our service to Him is to be superior. The priorities of God are to be preeminent. Our enthusiasm for Christ is to be excellent. And our zeal is at its zenith. Our focus is to be foremost upon the Lord. He is to be number one in our lives. 
most of you have heard that preached, and some of you have heard it most of your lives. We know it up to here. We know it in our heads. And how many of us really live it out? Others of you are still have this to learn as an important principle in your life. But Matthew 6, 20, or 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, in Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus is teaching some important principles about life. On the one hand, he speaks about having wealth or money and having the right perspective. He said in chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. And then in verse 25, he shifts back to having wrong priorities concerning wealth to the other extreme, and that is a worry about the lack of money. He says, Therefore take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. The idea here is not to worry. He's saying, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about it. That doesn't mean we don't provide for our families. We don't provide for them. But in verse 33, he sums up the whole teaching. He says, there seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. He precludes both problems discussed in this chapter of Matthew 6. He says, wrong priorities and worry about not having enough. Jesus directs us to make the things of God the first priority in our lives, and he promises that all these things shall be added unto you. You see, what is clear is when we seek the things of God and his righteousness first, God has promised to provide the necessities of life. When we make our priorities what they ought to be, and we live accordingly, God will provide and He will bless. I think of the testimony of the Macedonian Christians that Paul spoke about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. It says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God. You see, the Macedonian Christians had given an offering to Paul's support beyond their ability. They apparently had not given a very large amount. That wasn't the point. They, like the widow at the temple, had given their all. They had exceeded their ability to help others. And that is what made their liberality so rich. Then Paul says that not only had they given beyond their ability in a and in the way that they, in a monetary gift, but they gave first of their own selves to the Lord and to His work. You see, when our hearts are right, monetary giving is only natural. And what's more, it's the will of God for us. It's His will for us to give ourselves to Him and then to His work. The question is, have you given yourself this morning? And have you given your best to the Lord? That brings us to the principles of permanency. In verse 19, it says, All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and daughters with thee by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. 
The heave offerings were for the care of the priests and their families forever. But I want you to know something. I notice something here. It was a covenant of salt. That's indicated here uh, several things. First of all, it talks about permanency. That is that salt preserves. It talks about protection. You are protected when if you dined under someone's tent. It also speaks of provision. The salarium or salary of soldiers was often paid in salt. How would you like your paycheck next time to be in salt? Well, salt was very valuable back then. It was very valuable. Let me say, God's provision of salvation is permanent. We are eternally secure, that is, protected in Jesus Christ. And salvation is not something we earn or gain. It has been given to us freely by the Lord. And He gave us eternal life when we ask for it and He chooses not to, uh, and chooses not to give it back. In 1 Peter 1.5 it says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I think this verse puts what we've been talking about in perspective. Yes, we are to be obedient to the Lord. We are to meditate upon His Word. We're to be a doer of the Word. And this has to do with our having a victorious Christian life. But I'm also thankful it's not up to me to keep me saved. You see, the phrase kept by the power of God emphasizes the keeping power of God. This word kept is one of the most wonderful words in the Bible. When I exercise saving faith in the Lord Jesus and become one of His dear children, it is forever. I am kept by the power of God. This word means to be garrisoned about like an army of soldiers placed around me. And this isn't some puny little army of men, but it's God who surrounds me for eternity. There's a story of a Scotsman who was typically economical. He left instructions that only one word be engraved on his tombstone. But that one word taken from this verse is the one of the greatest I know. It was the single word kept. He was kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a wonderful truth. Jude uh, 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 2 Timothy 1.12 For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. John 10 28 and 29, and I gave unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then there's one more principle in this chapter. The principle of legacy. Numbers 20. Verse 20 says, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. 
I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. Here, we're speaking of an inheritance. God was their inheritance. They were provided homes to live in, but not an inheritance in the land. This reminds us of the inheritance or the legacy that we have as Christians. 1 Peter 1.4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, the fate of God away, reserved in heaven for you. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Romans 8, 17, And if children the heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified together. You see, because of Christ... We have several blessings. We have a wonderful inheritance. We have the inheritance of peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us. Uh, we have the uh, blessing of pleasure and joy. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for which they, uh, whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorrow. We have the blessing of God of plenty. <laughs> Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We have the blessing of protection. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And then we have a place in heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. What an inheritance. What a legacy we have in Christ. I like what Isaiah said. Isaiah 64, 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by ear, neither have I seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Let me ask you this morning. Are you enjoying the peace, the plenty, the pleasure, the protection, the hope of a wonderful place called heaven this morning? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you have no peace. You have no protection. You have no hope of heaven as your eternal home. The Bible says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them who believe in His name. Many as received Him, to them gave me power. The word power there, we've talked about the word power in the past. Sometimes the word power is the word dunamis, like the word dynamite. But this is not the word here. This is a different word. It's a delegated power or authority. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, He gives you authority to become a child of God. And also we must realize that it is for them that believe on His name. So, not a head knowledge, but it's a faith that puts your life into His hands. 
one of this morning, Christian, are you obedient? Are you obeying the commandments that God has given you in His Word? We're not talking about being obedient or working or doing to keep yourself safe, but we're talking about being obedient and a doer of the Word because you love God and you want to please Him. I wonder, does that describe you this morning? If not, why not? Are you living by faith or by sight? Let's pray. Father in heaven, 